0: Today, we are starting a new chapter. We had a new chapter last week, and we got all the way through, but that's because there were only eight verses. We will not get all the way through chapter 16 today. We will cover verses 1 through 9, and as we mentioned last week, chapter 15 was kind of like a prelude or a preface leading up to the final seven judgments of Revelation, the bowl judgments. And we're going to look at the first four, I believe, today, the first four bold judgments of the seven. So let's pray and get into that. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to once again study your word. We pray that you continue to give us insight, understanding, wisdom. And Lord, we know that uh, we will not be here for the most tumultuous part of this, the tribulation. We will be with you in heaven But Lord, these are important things for us to know, and we hope and pray that we'll have the opportunity to share them with people who are not yet prepared for what lies ahead. And Lord, you told, uh, through Paul, you told the Thessalonians that they knew the times and the seasons. They'd been taught, they'd been trained, and they were able to recognize what was going on around them. And so, Lord, how much more for us who are living in these last days that you want us to have discernment, you want us to recognize what's happening, to be aware. So we ask your blessing upon this time of study in your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Read along with me in your Bible if you'd like to or up on the screen. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be. Because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give Him glory. So as we move now into chapter 16, we're going to see that things begin to move very rapidly as we see God giving the order to the seven angels to pour out their bowls of wrath upon the earth. And it's almost as if things are being supernaturally sped up. Matthew 24, Jesus said, and of course Matthew 24 is one of the key passages in the New Testament regarding the end times, unless those days, the days of the tribulation, were shortened, no flesh would be saved. So we see once again, in the midst of God's judgment, His wrath, we also see His grace. Without God's supernatural intervention, the human race would, with satanic help, Totally annihilate itself. And most of us have grown up within that time frame for the first time in human history where total annihilation of the Earth's population became a reality for those of us who were in school back in the 60s. That's when they would tell you we'd have these uh, nuclear attack drills where they tell you to get under your desk. <laughs> like, that's going to do a lot of good, right? Yeah, as you get nuked, just get under the desk. (laughs) That way you won't see it coming. But we've grown up under that. And sadly, even more so today, perhaps, for this younger generation, we know there's been great anguish, despair, rising numbers of suicides among young people because of this pandemic. And with the help of the liberal, secular satanic media technocracy and so forth deliberately implanting as much fear into the hearts and minds of our young people as they possibly can and yet we ain't seen nothing yet unless those days were shortened by God's grace no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake Those chosen by God, and God chooses those that he knows are going to choose him. How do you know if you're chosen? Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, choose him and you'll find out. For the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. As we will see today and next week, there are similarities between the bowl judgments and some of the trumpet judgments that we looked at in chapters 8 and 9. But there are some differences as well. The bold judgments being much more intensive and extensive. The trumpet judgments were kind of like a preview of coming attractions, and now we see with these bold judgments the full outpouring of God's wrath. Okay, verse one John writes, I heard a loud voice from the temple. We saw in chapter 15, verse 8, that once this final series of judgments had been handed off to the angels, the bowls, handed off to be poured out, that no one would be allowed in the temple, in heaven, the real temple, until the wrath was completed. And so as we hear this voice from the temple, we have to assume that it's the voice of God, because no one else is allowed in there right now. And God is the ultimate authority. He's the one calling the shots. And the voice says, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God. So this is the final phase of God's judgment on the earth. And then some have referred specifically to this time, uh, the second half of the tribulation, as the great tribulation. The question is, is that a generic term or is it specific to the second half? Because Matthew 24, 21, King James, for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So in a sense, the entire tribulation is great because it's never been this bad at any time in human history as it will be during the great tribulation. And the turmoil that we've seen just in the last few years with the hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes. Now, my brother-in-law, who is not a Believer necessarily does not identify himself as a believer, was just commenting. Friday night, I think, we got together, my wife and I, with him. He was commenting on all the volcanoes that have been erupting. And again, in the book of Romans, Paul talks about this current world being in great turmoil. And, of course, Jesus used the analogy that leading up to the tribulation, which we're studying right now in Revelation that it would be like a woman in travail, a woman with labor pains, getting ready to give birth. And so it seems pretty clear from the Scriptures overall that we're going to be witnessing increasing turmoil, literally, physically, with the planet. And we've seen that. We've seen that in recent times. We've seen an increase in both the intensity and the number of earthquakes in various parts of the planet volcanoes erupting and so forth. But this is the great tribulation we're looking at here, the final outpouring of God's wrath, Revelation seven fourteen. So he said to me, the angel says to John here in seven fourteen, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, the martyrs before the throne, and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So now, verse 2, we look at the first bowl, the first outpouring, and it is loathsome sores. And you know, we have probably all had a loathsome sore at one point or another, I suspect. But these loathsome sores make anything you've experienced more than likely pale in comparison. I had a little tiny bump on my index finger sometime back. And it looked like something that was poppable. You know what I mean? You could probably pop it. What's that guy on YouTube or that gal, at uh, Doctor Pimple Popper or whatever? That is really disgusting. I don't know if you—that's you, really bad. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Well, it was just a little tiny bump. I popped it. Some stuff came out. I thought, well, maybe it would probably then just go away, heal up. No, it came back. Popped it again. After the second or third time, my finger got infected. And started traveling down the finger, so I had to get some antibiotics to clear it up. Now I've got one on the other index finger. And I talked to the doctor about it, and he told me to leave it alone. (laughs) We shall see. He said, if you do pop it, use a sterile needle. But these are nothing compared to what's going to be happening in the tribulation. Loathsome sores. The first angel went and poured out his bowl. The effect of the first bowl being poured out is a terrible sore upon all who have the mark of the beast. As per God's warning in Revelation 14, 9 and 10. Then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand... He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Now you probably know not only in ancient biblical times but even in Europe and parts of the world where wine consumption is considered pretty much a staple of the diet in times past because a lot of times the water wasn't safe to drink and so even the children at mealtime would be given a glass of wine, but it was watered down. It was mixed with water to produce, obviously to produce the effect of the alcohol and so forth, but to purify the water and to give them something healthy to drink. And so when it says here the full strength, make no mistake about it, the wrath of God at this time in the tribulation will not be watered down. And I would say in times past that's been the case. God's wrath His judgment at various times and various places throughout human history has been tempered with His grace, with His mercy. It's been diluted, if you will. But at this time, in the second half of the tribulation, there will be no dilution of His wrath. Think about that. Full strength into the cup of His indignation, He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels And in the presence of the Lamb. Yes, Lord. So the result here is a foul, ooh, foul and loathsome sore. It literally means foul and evil. So there have been various thoughts on what it could be some kind of a skin ulcer, probably. Again, the rapidity with which these last seven judgments are poured out, verses 2 through 12, 17 through 21, because notice it's happening in rapid succession now, seems to suggest that they fall very quickly upon a world that's already badly battered and bloodied. We've seen that throughout the course of this study, just the hammering of the planet. At the very beginning, the Antichrist... Comes as a man of peace, the false Messiah, bringing unity, harmony, peace to the world, utopia, one world, one government. Gee, can't—if we're all one, there can't be any more wars, right? And yet we've seen just the opposite. As we've studied, that's the—that's the selling point. You know, we—we we are the world. No more individual nations, no more boundaries. We're just all going to be one big happy family. Well, it doesn't work out that way, as we all know. And so you might say, you remember back in the Gulf War, they used the term shock and awe. This is God's version of shock and awe, these last seven bold judgments. And those who, in direct defiance of God, pledge their allegiance to the beast and to the false prophet, they're going to get a mark from God as well. It's these loathsome sores. Now the Egyptians suffered a similar affliction during the sixth plague of the Exodus. We see parallels so there is previous historical precedent for these events. Exodus 9, 9 through 11 just as God's great power could not be denied by the Egyptians and their magicians. Remember Janus and Jambres they had a whole group of uh, magicians there in Egypt who tried to counterfeit the miracles of God. But unbelieving people will be unable to deny God's sovereign justice as they encounter the bowls of his judgments and we see that here in a moment how they curse him recognizing that he is the one bringing this upon them so now the next one in verse 3 is that the sea turns to blood the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died and this is like the second trumpet in Revelation 8, 8, and 9, except this time it's the entire sea. In Revelation 8, 8, and 9, after the second trumpet blew, a third of the sea turned into blood, killing a third of the living creatures. And so, as we, I believe we discussed back at that point, it would appear to be a regional thing, one section of the world where the, the waters are turned to blood, killing a third of the living creatures, just Destroying a third of the ships and so we've talked about various possibilities is this a totally supernatural event is there some man component to it such as nuclear war and so forth the end result is the same but the judgment here in the final period the final seven bold judgments it won't be just a third this time it'll be all Every living creature in the sea died. The sea, all of the seas of the earth will become blood. And this is similar, of course, to the first plague upon the Egyptians in Exodus 7, 17 through 21, where the Nile River is turned to blood. Joe Cano had mentioned something before I came up that I had been thinking about already, and you've probably heard of the red tides. Recently they've been having down in Florida and just... Causing all kinds of havoc, a lot of dead sea life and so forth. Again, perhaps a preview of coming attractions. But there's no reason not to believe that all these things are going to be supernatural in origin. They appear to have been in ancient Egypt at the time of Moses. But however God chooses to bring this about, it's not good. Notice something significant here. This time... It's the blood as of a dead man. Now before, when it was a third in chapter 8, it just said blood. But here it says blood as of a dead man. The blood of a living person is red and fluid. You know, when you get a cut of some kind, it's, it's typically bright red, flowing blood. But the blood of a dead man is dark and coagulated. Think about that. Blood as of a dead man. All the seas. And so again, we see great significance here in that those who have refused to accept the blood of Christ as the payment for their sins will be forced to drink the blood of God's wrath if it's indeed drinkable at all. Tells us every living creature in the sea died. Now again, imagine the stench, the disease that will result from this God ordained disaster, not to mention the destruction of one of the earth's main sources of food. Now, here in America, we're big on beef, pork, and chicken. We eat seafood too, of course, but we're a big beef nation. Where's the beef? By the way, I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> one of the many phenomena over the past six or seven months, we've seen inflation rising like crazy. Some call it Bidenflation. I was at the supermarket, and uh, we were going to make some green chili stew, big New Mexico dish, right? And I thought, well, I better pick up a pound of ground beef. Well, now, recently I got a big five-pound pack, and it was... I don't know, you know, $3 and something a pound, I guess. Well, the small little one-pound pack now of the 73%, you know, 27% fat and 73% meat was like $4.63, one pound. Inflation. Is it accidental or is it all on purpose? I told you last week there are no coincidences. Anyway, I deviate. Most of the world, apart from the United States of America and perhaps a few other countries, rely heavily upon fish and other forms of seafood for the bulk of their diet, right? And it's all going to be destroyed here with this second bowl of wrath. The waters destroyed. And the next, that was the seas, the salt water, the oceans. The third one here in verse 4 is that the fresh waters also turned to blood. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Just as the third trumpet made a third of the waters bitter, polluted, undrinkable, in chapter 8 verse 11 the third bowl here extends the judgment of the second bowl on the sea to the rivers and the springs and they become blood as well again this time it will be worldwide and so you can see why there's an acceleration and Jesus said unless the days be shortened no flesh would be saved very rapidly during this final series of judgments the earth is going to become uninhabitable There goes the water supplies, the inland navigation. And we all know without water, no human, animal, or plant can survive for very long. You have dehydration, starvation, fires. We know all about fires here, don't we? Is that the rain? I couldn't tell if it's the rain or the the coolers blowing because I turned those on high because it was a little warm. Here's another interesting thing. Among the many things being foisted upon us to control us and move us in a certain direction is all the environmental stuff, right? So-called climate change, right? All that? Well, all these people don't know what's about to hit them. This is real climate change. This is real environmental catastrophe and it won't be brought on by your diesel pickup truck. It's going to be brought on by the wrath of God instead of fearing all the stuff that they put upon us, how bad we are, shouldn't be driving that SUV while they jet around in their big carbon-emission airplanes, right? And their big black SUVs because they're important. They should be allowed to carry guns and drive SUVs, but you shouldn't. (laughs) Well, this is what they should be concerned about. They should be repenting and turning to God because their worst nightmare is coming and it's not coming from you and from me. It's coming from Him. And again, it's not because God hates us. God does not hate the human race. The last time I checked, John three sixteen says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has proved his love by sending his Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Greater love has no man than this that he laid down his life for his friends. God has proved his love over and over and over again. But it's just like in human relationships. A one-sided relationship never works out, does it? I mean, you can pursue someone only so long, and then eventually you have to just deal with the fact that they're not interested, right? And move on. It's the same way with God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said, Revelation 3.20. But if you keep refusing to open the door, at some point that opportunity will be gone. So when we talk about the viciousness of these judgments, it's not a lack of love on God's part, it's a lack of the proper response on the part of humanity. Verse 5, I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. Notice, the angel is actually praising God and honoring Him for these judgments. This is the angel who poured out the third bowl in verse 4. And John heard the angel proclaim that God, the Holy One, is just in His judgments. See, because God is eternally righteous, His judgment of the inhabitants of the earth and their violent, unrighteous works is completely just. It's hard for humanity to understand this because we are imperfect, we are unrighteous, we are unholy, we have a sin nature, and apart from God's transforming work in our lives, our normal general tendency is to do bad things. And so it's hard for us to grasp the concept of a totally holy righteous god and that everything he does is right when he extends mercy he's right but when he pronounces judgment he is also right now in verse 6 we're given the specific reason for this judgment the judgment of the water is being turned to blood Everything God does is very specific, very deliberate. There are no coincidences. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Because of thousands of years of bloodshed, beginning with Cain killing his brother Abel, and Pharaoh killing all the male babies born in Egypt at the time of Moses, and Moses miraculously escaping that death, by the God-directed wisdom of his sister placing him in the basket into the Nile River and then the daughter of Pharaoh snatching him from the river. All the male children killed by Herod at the time Christ was born. And again, this has been the devil's plan from the beginning of human history to prevent the coming of the Messiah, the destruction of the human race. Thousands of years of bloodshed The wicked persecuting the righteous, if you will. Killing God's prophets, God's saints, God's people. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And here's the deal. See, many people think because God's judgment has been delayed, that there will be no judgment. They've gotten away with it either because God didn't see them, God didn't care, or God doesn't exist. At any rate, they can do what they want. There's no judgment. But they're tragically mistaken. And our vindication and our exaltation will come in God's good time, not ours. And that's something you and I have to understand. On the one hand, you have the the wicked, the unrighteous, thinking they can get away with anything, Yeah, well, where's God's judgment? It hasn't come yet. I haven't been hit with lightning yet. And then you have the believers getting offended with God for not judging them. But God will vindicate us and exalt us in His time, not our time. We talked a couple weeks ago about the patience of the saints, remember? This calls for the patience of the saints. And here's the thing. Rather than wanting to see this judgment come upon them, our hearts should be breaking for them and we should be praying for them because the fact that that judgment is delayed, in my opinion, indicates that it will be all the more severe. Because what's what's at stake here is eternity. Maybe you make it through this life, for the most part, unscathed. You know, and we see those, the wealthy, the prosperous, the powerful. They seem to have whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. But remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? The tables get turned, folks. Lazarus is this poor beggar out in front of the, the estate of the rich man. He's out there begging. And then he dies, and he goes to Abraham's bosom, which was the Old Testament place for believers to go, now we go straight up to heaven to be with God in heaven, with Jesus Christ. But then the rich man dies, and he winds up on the hot side, like a cat on a hot tin roof. Some like it hot, no. <laughs> you might think so, but that's not the case. The tables get turned, the playing field gets leveled. And so we're told very specifically here that this judgment is a direct result of thousands of years of bloodshed of God's people. And that would include all those martyred during the tribulation that are going to be beheaded, according to the scriptures, for their faith. You have given them blood to drink, for it is their due they deserve to drink blood because they shed the blood of saints and prophets. And now, verse 7 I heard the altar respond Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The martyrs before the altar of God join with an amen to the proclamation of the angel for the sake of God's chosen to uphold their integrity and their sacrifice. And here's the deal see, this is why it has to happen sin must be and will be judged for the sake of God's chosen to uphold their integrity and their sacrifice. But again, this will happen in God's timing and this calls for the patience of the saints. Because of God's very nature, sin must be dealt with one way or another. That's why Christ came and died on the cross. That's why darkness came over the land when he was up there. Remember? And he cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why would the Father forsake his own Son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity? Because at that very moment, I believe the sins of the entire human race were placed upon Jesus Christ. And he felt that separation that you and I experience when we're not in right relationship with God. But for him, as the eternal second person of the trinity the godhead he had never experienced that separation before and never would again but at that moment the sins of billions and billions of people can you imagine that's enough to kill you right there all it takes is our own sin to kill us sin does kill you eventually darkness why have you forsaken me That price was paid. The sad part is, it's only paid for you if you accept it. You ever tried to pay someone's dinner bill and they just keep refusing, 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 you know? Okay, well, pay for it yourself then. I'm not going to fight with you about it. So, the altar in heaven, the martyrs, the saints... Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And see, that the fact that God sent His only Son to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the price, and anyone who comes to Him will be accepted, anyone who believes in Him will be saved, then God is totally justified in judging the wicked who have purposefully, willfully rejected the price that was paid. Nobody can ever accuse God of being mean, hateful, unjust, because he already paid the price. It's up to you to accept it. Okay, here's the next one. The fourth bowl, men are scorched. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And this is reminiscent of the fourth trumpet judgment also directed toward the sun in chapter 8, verse 12. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, but this time it's darkened. A third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. So the original trumpet judgment reduces all the light sources that we rely upon by a third but now we have the, res- the exact opposite. This angel strikes the sun under God's command, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. In this plague, the sun's heat is intensified, not diminished. And again, over the past few years, I think we've heard the scientific community warning about you know, solar flares and sunspots and so forth and the potential, you know, the breakdown of the ozone layer, the increase of uh, UV rays and so forth. But here's where it's really going to come down. We've seen increasing uh, problems and issues with skin cancer and so forth, but nothing compared to what will be happening here at, towards the end of the tribulation. And... Um, we, we got exposed to some pretty hot weather here a few weeks ago, didn't we? Perhaps you might even argue unusually, unusually hot for New Mexico, but the entire southwest was blanketed with a heat wave, and we know how uncomfortable that can be, but they set some records in some places like Death Valley, 130 degrees. Child's play compared to the tribulation not a time when you want to be here on planet earth is it and guess what you don't have to be if you receive christ as your lord and savior and he's the only one the bible says there's no other name given under heaven by which man must be saved jesus said john fourteen six six, "I'm the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except through me that makes it so simple and so easy it takes away all the doubt all the questions Well, let me see. Should I believe in Muhammad, Islam, Buddha, Confucius, Krishna? Um, Wow, there's so many choices. No, there aren't. There are no other options. It's Jesus or nothing. It's so simple. It's so simple. And the thing is, he proved it. He proved it. He died on the cross, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. And according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... He was seen alive by over 500 people at one time. There's no other so called great religious leader who can make that claim. They're all dead. You want to serve a dead Savior or a living Savior? A dead Savior is no Savior at all. It's so simple. Let's clear up all the confusion, shall we? It's Jesus only. He's the only way. But you know what? He says, all those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. So again, it's a no-brainer. What if God doesn't want me? What if God doesn't like me? What if God rejects me? He won't. He never has. He never will. All you have to do is say yes to him. Verse 9, and men were scorched with great heat. This is our last verse. And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. They were scorched with great heat. We talked about this. Have you ever been to Phoenix, Arizona? I grew up there. Pretty darn hot. Needles, California. I wonder why they call it Needles. Because that heat burns, man, it penetrates like a bunch of needles in your skin. Death Valley. Think of the worst sunburn you've ever had, but it never goes away, never gets better, never heals up. The side effects of this scorching heat will drastically affect the climate, possibly including excessive evaporation and melting of the great ice areas of the world. This is the real climate change, as we talked about. You know, AOC and Al Gore are actually right. They're just off on their timing and they're off on the reasons. By the time they are proven right, they will wish they weren't if they're still around. And they blaspheme the name of God. Isn't that interesting? Those who follow the beast here blaspheme the name of God just as the beast himself does in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. They're blaspheming the God they claim not to believe in. Have you ever noticed how people do that? They'll tell you they don't believe in God and then they'll turn around and they will show you that they're mad at him. But if he doesn't exist, how can you be mad at him? The, the problem is, in your heart of hearts, you really know that he does exist. You just don't want to admit it. You don't want to bow your knee to him. You don't want to serve him because you're too full of pride. Pride goes before a fall. I don't believe in him, but I hate him. You can't have it both ways. God's intention, folks, is that through judgment, men's hearts will be broken and they will turn to Him. But for those who refuse, their hearts only become more and more hardened. See old expression, trials will make you bitter or better? Exodus 8, 19, the magician said to Pharaoh, listen to this, these heathen pagan magicians working for Pharaoh, they tell him, this is the finger of God. Big G. The real God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. And that's what we see here with these people in the tribulation who have pledged their body, soul, and spirit to the beast, to the Antichrist, and then ultimately to satan himself and they did not repent and give him glory the NIV says they refused to repent and give him glory they cannot argue against the existence or the power of God but even so they will not repent and give God glory once again we're reminded folks that repentance I talk about it being a gift from God but it's also a choice. Even in the midst of severe judgment, the only sin that God cannot or will not forgive is the unconfessed one. How presumptuous and arrogant that anyone would think, well, I I haven't really confessed it or admitted it, but yeah, I think God forgives me anyway. No, he doesn't. You need to admit it. You need to confess. You need to repent. Don't presume upon the grace of God that you can do anything you want and because God is a loving God. He's going to forgive you. This stuff we're studying right now is proof that that is not true. If you want to be forgiven, you need to say so. You need to confess your sins before God and you need to repent. And He will forgive you. Matthew twelve thirty one. Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Again, there is the underlying assumption that you're going to confess it, you're going to admit it. Every sin and blasphemy, wow, even blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. And this is one of the devil's favorite Bible verses because he will come to you and try to tell you, Oh, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you're toast. You're done. You're going to hell. God won't forgive you because people don't understand what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Here's what it is. I believe the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to deny Christ as Lord and Savior. That is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit because why? Who is the one that comes into your heart, into your mind and speaks to you and tells you that Jesus is Lord? It's the Holy Spirit. And when you say, no, he's not, I don't believe it. You're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. And if you die in that condition, then you're gone. You're lost. But unless you do that, there's still hope for you. As long as you're taking breath, you can repent. You can confess. You can ask for God's forgiveness. That's why Jesus said, that's the only sin that won't be forgiven. Blast the Holy Spirit, because that means you've died in an unrepentant state calling God's Spirit a liar. You understand this? It's not because you said Benny Hinn is a fake. These guys will tell you that. If you question any of their shenanigans, the Benny Hinn's, the Kenneth Copeland's, and so forth, all the shaken bakers on TV, they'll tell you you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Really? Is Benny Hinn the Holy Spirit? Is Kenneth Copeland the Holy Spirit? Kenneth Hagin? Any of these shysters? He said they're shysters? Yes, I did. And I'm not embarrassed. They are not the Holy Spirit. You can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit by questioning the validity of the things that they do. You can only blaspheme the Holy Spirit by denying Christ. So don't do it. Don't deny Christ. Accept Him as Lord and Savior. 1 Corinthians twelve three. Therefore, Paul writes, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior it's because the Holy Spirit has told you that that is the truth and you have received it, you have accepted it, and you have confessed it. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Jesus came to earth for us. That may not seem like a big deal to you and I, but when you have spent eternity with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, in His heavenly kingdom, and you come down to this place? Hello. That's a big step down, isn't it? He came down to us. He said, I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the manna from heaven. He came down and lived among us. First chapter of the Gospel of John, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came down to earth for us. Now it's our turn to come to Him. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Some people take this attitude, well, God knows where I live. If he wants me, he can come and find me. He already did that. It's your turn to come to him. It's going to get bloody, folks, for everyone here on planet Earth in the near future. It's better to be washed in the blood of the Lamb than to drink the blood of God's wrath. Things are really going to heat up. We've seen that. It's better to receive Jesus baptism of a fire. John the Baptist said, "One is coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to unlatch, unfasten. I baptize you with water, but one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Better to be baptized with fire by Jesus than to be burned by deception and tormented by the fires of hell." Instead of cursing God for his just and righteous judgments, we need to praise him for giving us a choice, and be sure to choose wisely. We have to choose Jesus. Let's stand. And ask everyone to bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. If you need prayer this morning, please raise your hand. A lot of hands out there, yes. Praise God, he sees your hands. I see them, but more importantly, he sees them. Father, I lift each one up to you now. And Father, there may be those also watching online that would have prayer needs, prayer requests. We lift all of these up to you, those here in this room, those over the internet. God, you know each heart. You know what's going on. Lord, if it's a health issue, we know it's not a problem for you. You created us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We do live in bodies cursed by sin, but you are the great physician, and we humbly call upon you for your grace, your mercy, your healing. Lord, whether it's just a cold or allergies or cancer or heart disease or diabetes, Lord, it doesn't matter. It's all the same for you. With you, all things are possible. We pray for healing for those calling out to you today, Lord, for relief from pain, from various physical trials and tribulations. We humbly beseech you for healing Lord, for those with emotional, mental issues, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, distress, anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, Lord, we need your healing for those things as well. We ask you to forgive us for harboring feelings and emotions that we should not. We ask you to take them from us. We repent. We confess. We renounce them in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would lift heaviness off of anyone here today or anyone watching a heaviness that's there as a result of these mental and emotional issues. Lord, even whether if it's bipolar, schizophrenia, nothing is too difficult for you, Lord. We know medications only lessen the effects, perhaps, mask them. But God, you are the one that can truly heal from any and all of these things, and we do pray for your healing. Father, for financial issues, sometimes we make our own messes, We ask your forgiveness if we've done that. Sometimes it's out of our control, but we pray for your provision that you would help us, Lord, in those areas where help is needed for um, jobs, for employment, for for an increase in wages. Lord, just provide by any means that you see fit to do so, but we pray that no one would go without the basic fundamental needs of life. You've promised to, to take care of us. We thank you for that. We pray for provision, we pray for wisdom and guidance in the management of our resources. Lord, we pray for relationships that are struggling, marriages, friendships, office worker relationships, whatever it might be, Lord. We ask that you would bring healing to those areas that need healing of troubled or broken relationships. Lord, we know the enemy comes to kill, to steal, to destroy, to divide us you've come to unite us. We pray that you would heal relationships, Father. Whatever else is going on, anything we may not have covered, we lift it up to you. And we thank you that you do hear our prayers. You hear the prayers of your people. You do answer. And we give you praise and thanksgiving. And we thank you for this time in your word today. Finally, Father, we pray for anyone who may be questioning their relationship with you. They're not sure if they've been born again, whether it be here in this room or on on the internet, we pray, God, that you would enable them right now to do what we've talked about so much today, to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to confess their sins, to repent, and to allow Jesus to come into their life and take control of their life to be their Lord and Savior. We pray for salvation for them in the precious name of Jesus. We pray now you'd receive our final offering of praise and worship and blessings upon the food for those who choose to stay and partake of it. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.